Okay, so how we'll do this class today is we're just going to read through Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16 only. Okay, we're just going to go through those first 16 verses. And we'll do it like we've been doing it, go around the room. But before we do that, I just want to do a little intro for, well, not an intro, but a reminder from last week's class, just on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, we looked up the word evil, and it meant knowing evil, both moral and natural, adversity, affliction, calamity, distress, grief, harm, heaviness, hurt, misery, sorrow, trouble, wickedness, pain, sadness, injury, wrong, unpleasant, evil. That is what that word evil means in that context in Hebrew. That mankind, since Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree that God told them not to, would now experience all these things in life. And I think we heard that what's going on in the Philippines and we see what's going on in the Ukraine and we realize these things are true. I mean, we, we see it happening, the evil in the world. So it was God's intent from the very beginning for man to reflect his image. Remember we saw that in Genesis 1 and 2 in the world. But when sin entered into the picture, that image of God and men was marred and distorted. And we're going to see that in this chapter as we read Verses 1 through 16 in chapter 4, we're going to see Cain and Abel and their story, which really did happen. It's not really a story. It's, it really did happen. So what we see because of what happened last week when we looked at Genesis 3, we see that every person's natural bent is to sin. And we heard that last Sunday, right, in service. We've been hearing that, the depravity of sin, why it's important to see that. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 143 verse 2 says, For in your sight, no one living is righteous. Again, that's what the Bible says. And Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, Our righteousness is like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. And those filthy rags, as women, we know what those filthy rags are. So as we read through Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16, we'll go around the room, one verse apiece. I'll turn the recording off, then I'll turn it back on. You guys know the setup now, so... So what were the circumstances? I'm going to ask you questions tonight. What were the circumstances from what we just read in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16? Adam and Eve had two children, and they were giving offerings, and one was more accepted than the other. Yeah. Adam and Eve had two children, Cain and Abel, given offerings. The children were given offerings, and one offering was accepted and the other wasn't. How did Cain react to his offering being rejected by God? He was angry. He was angry. So Cain was rejected, and he got angry. How do you know he was angry? Because he says he was very 
It says he was very angry, so he wasn't just angry, he was very angry. And his countenance fell. So what, what does that tell you about his countenance falling? Not only was he angry, but he was also depressed. Depressed. So do you think he had jealousy in his heart? Towards his brother? So now what we see in Genesis 4, there's sibling rivalry going on. Remember, before the fall, everyone was, everything was good. Everything was good. Now we have sibling rivalry. We also have the first murder case, premeditated murder. We see grief and sorrow. Could you imagine how Adam and Eve felt about seeing their son murdered? Horrible. Horrible. According to 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, God had rejected Cain's offerings because of his wicked lifestyle. It says that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. James 4, verses 1 through 3 in the New King James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. And when we see there where there's wars, anger, fighting going on, it's usually because we're living the police self. Self is in the center. There's selfish motives of the heart going on. We see that in James 1.15. I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible. It says, every person is tempted when he's drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desire or lust or passions. Then when evil desire, when it has conceived, so now desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and those that have had children know when you conceive, you give birth to a child, right? But sin, when it's fully grown, it, it brings forth death. And again, we saw this last week, right, in Genesis 3. What Eve saw was pleasant to the eyes, desirable. She took of its fruit. She ate of it. She gave it to her husband. Standing right there, never stopped her. So now we see this concept of sin being played out, not only in last week Adam and Eve's life, but now we see it in the lives of her son, her son's life. And you would think that mom and dad would have told the children about what they had going on in the garden with God before the fall, right? You would think that, that they told them about that. But still, what we see as an outcome from not responding to the way God had told Cain to respond to the situation, that one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. So what we see here is our emotions are an indicator of what's going on in the heart. So there was 
anger there, there was jealousy there, there was uh, sibling rivalry there, um, grief, sorrow, rejection, and we see the result of that in his actions. So how did God respond to Cain's emotional outburst? Verse 6 and 7. How did God respond to his emotional outburst, Cain? He asked him, why? He asked him, why are you angry? Does anyone remember from last week when God comes and confronts us or asks us what it's called? It's, I'll give you a, a hint. Starts with an R, first word, second word, C. Confrontation. What kind of confrontation, though? Redemptive, con redemptive confrontation. Because God wanted to redeem the situation, but he had to acknowledge his sin. He had to acknowledge it. So that's why God was coming and asked him, why are you angry? He knew what was going on in his heart. And what was his counsel to Cain? He encouraged him to overcome his anger in his heart, right? Yeah. Towards his brother. He, he encouraged him. His counsel to Cain was, if you do good, will I not accept you? And if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. The door of your heart. God knew if he didn't deal with the, the sin of anger in his heart, that it was going to grab hold of him. That word crouching is like a lion crouching in wait for a prey. What does that remind you of? First Peter, right? Where it tells us to be sober-minded because our enemy, the adversary, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he made the devour. So that same word is being used there like a lion crouching, waiting for his prey. And what we see if God was basically saying to him, if we don't deal with the anger immediately, then sin's crouching at the door of our heart. And its desire is for you. That word desire is the same Hebrew word that we looked at last week with uh, Adam and Eve, the curse that came. The desire, you're going to have a desire for your husband. It's the same word being used there in relation to Eve's desire for her husband, but the desire represents something to be resisted as it's connected to sin. So the parallel use of desire in these verses suggests that sin wishes to be as intimate with humanity as woman is with her husband. Yeah, that's pretty intense. That word there, desire, it wants to possess you inside, possess your heart. You know, and the problem is, if we're honest with ourselves, it feels good sometimes to be angry, right? <laughs> it does. We know we get angry and if we, it just feels good to be in that anger towards whatever, when the Holy Spirit's saying, repent, let it go, let it go, let it go. How long does it take us, though, to let it go? 
It's a struggle, right? Because we feel justified when we get angry. But the only way to avoid this is if we learn how to master it. That's what the Lord was saying to him, the Lord God. You are to master this. If you don't, it's right at the door, like a lion waiting to entrap you. Don't allow it to be your companion. Don't carry that thing with you. Why was it important for Cain to respond to God's counsel? Right. So he wouldn't murder his brother, right? So you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 12, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. Jeff preached on it, where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus knew if you don't deal with the heart issue, you're going to act it out eventually. And it makes me think about how many people are in prison for murder that had an anger issue that they just held on to. They nursed it, they babied it, and they wound up murdering someone. And they're sitting there in prison now. You know, just think about Jesus knew Deal with this. Deal with this. See, the thing with Cain, he had waited till he went out into the field to murder his brother. So he must have been thinking about it. You know, he was angry at the rejection, jealous of his brother, and now he's playing it over and over in his mind, I'm sure, thinking about how can I get him, and waited till they were out in the field. So what we know from his actions, it was premeditated murder. But what was the outcome of Cain's anger? We had mentioned it earlier, but we see the spiral, right? He started to spiral down after he murdered his brother. He fell into self-pity, right? He thought everyone was against him. Everyone would be against him. So what we see is there's this downward spiral that goes down, 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 down. If we don't deal with one sin, it'll lead to many other sins. Many other sins. Did God hold Cain accountable for his actions? He did, right? Verse 9 and 10. He held him accountable. It's called redemptive uh, confrontation. He was holding him accountable, and he holds us accountable too been reading through numbers and I remember my pastor used to have this uh, scripture on the door the front door to his office and as you would leave in the office the scripture was there on the wall, wall from numbers 32 23 it said be sure your sin will find you out and I'm telling you you would go into his office to meet with him and when you left the office you would see that sign it would be like sin in my life that needs to repent of or bring out to the light. It made you really look at your heart, you know, as you were leaving his office. And this is a good example of that. You know, Cain thought he could hide what he did, but God loved him too much to let him stay hiding. Same thing with Adam and Eve, right? 
they thought they can hide, they could cover up what they did, but God loved them too much to let them get away with it. So, to make matters worse, not only did Cain murder his brother, but when God comes and asks him, what have you done? What did Cain say to God? He said, you, did you... Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What did Cain say to God? He lied. He lied. He lied. I don't know where my brother, am I my brother's keeper? So now we see that he's just, he's got to lie to cover up what he's done. But God already knows what he did. And he's trying to get him to confess it. But now he's lying to God. He didn't confess his guilt. We don't see that anywhere, even though God confronted him. We see that he refused to take responsibility for his actions against his brother. He refused basically to deal with anger in God's way. Because remember, God's counsel was, if you do good, right? If you do the right thing, it's not going to master you. It's not going to own you. But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. But it was God's desire that he would conquer that anger. That he wouldn't be intimate or one with it. There was a quote that I read years ago that said, Pride is the daughter of wrath. Pride is the daughter of wrath. So whenever there's anger brewing in the heart, it's usually rooted in pride. It's usually rooted in pride. So what were the consequences of Cain's sin? He was cast out. Verse 11 and 12. He was cursed from the ground, he became a fugitive. He would also be a loner, be a loner. Cain could no longer practice his livelihood of farming. He would now be a vagrant, an outcast. And God was gonna hide himself from his face. God would hide his face because he's holy, he's holy. So we see the holiness of God there. He was also fearful. We see that fear creeping, creeping out of his heart. Fear that they might kill him. That other descendants of Adam and Eve would kill him to avenge Abel's blood. So he was living in fear. And remember, before the fall, none of this existed. None of these emotions, we saw that. That's why I read, again, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that word evil, what it means in Hebrew, because we see all the things that that word represents played out in Cain's life. And Adam and Eve, I can't imagine what they went through as parents, having to deal with all this. So... Another consequence of Cain's sin, and, and Sarah said it, he went out from the presence of God. 
because sin separates us from God and he dwelt in the land of Nod. And Nod was east of Eden. Nod now is identified with, and whenever you go east from Eden, it's identified with going out. Going out into a sinful world. Going out just like his father and mother did. They were driven out of Eden, east of Eden. So we want to learn from Cain how to deal with our anger when it rises up in our hearts, right? Because when we read his story, it's like, Lord, what do you want me to learn from his life? Because everything that was written before was written for our learning, for our comfort, hope, the scriptures give us, right? See that in Romans 15, 4. So this is, the rest of this is from the self-confrontation manual, and that's the handout that I gave you. How do we know when our anger is sinful? And this is from the self-confrontation manual. It's not the whole lesson on anger. It's bits and pieces. But scripture teaches that the anger of man cannot achieve the righteousness of God. That our anger, whether explosive in expression, which is called thumos, which is like a volcano erupting and lava being poured out at everyone's pathway in front of you, or a settled as a disposition, which is orge. Orge is the kind that just stuffs it and stuffs it and stuffs it and stuffs it and never says anything, but is very bitter and resentful at everyone. So there's two kinds of anger, that our anger, whether it's explosive in expression, thumos, or settled as a disposition, orge, is to be decisively put off if we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Outbursts of anger are part of the deeds of the flesh and are characteristic of a fool. This is what scripture says. And you'll see with each one of these statements, there are scriptures listed. So you can take those scriptures and look them up to see, is this really true? <laughs> What's being said here? Because this is what the Bible says about people that struggle with anger. Besides showing a lack of the fruit of the Spirit, a person with a quick temper abounds in many transgressions. Again, Scripture tells us that. Didn't we see that with Cain? Not only was... He, the whole thing started because of rejection. But look how many other sins he gave over to because of just being rejected by God. And all the while, God was telling him, if you do the right thing, I'll accept you. You don't have to go down that pathway. Scripture also tells us that someone with an anger issue is not fit to assume church leadership responsibilities. So anger is a prelude, prelude to and is often a com compounded by further sins. And again, we saw this with Cain. God knew where Cain's sin was going to take him. And he tried to address it up front. Because he knew, you don't deal with this. I know where this is going to lead. Anger against another is condemned by Jesus and shows a lack of biblical love. And anger demonstrates a lack of trust in God's sovereignty by thinking that I've got to be in control of this situation. Remember James, where the wars and fights come from among you, your desire for pleasure, that war in your members, and may also indicate a failure to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, where our wills 
are not surrendered to him. We're still very much in control or want to be in control. And remember, we saw that in Genesis 3. It's part of the curse that we come under. Now, us ladies especially wanting to be in control of who? Our husbands. Our husbands. So a person with great anger will continually be in difficulty. The scriptures state there. And think about this. If you know someone maybe that you tend to rescue, maybe they have an anger problem and you tend to keep rescuing them and they're not repenting, do you have to rescue them again next time they get angry or in trouble? Yeah. So you just see that. They're continually in the cycle of difficult circumstances because they're not dealing with the heart issue that God wants them to deal with. Scripture also tells us that angry people wrongfully influence others and they should be avoided. Isn't that something? That they should be avoided. So how do we know when anger is sinful? When we are quick-tempered or have angry outbursts or when we become angry, we are not merciful, compassionate, nor forgiving. Or when we seek vengeance or retaliation against another. Or when we violate biblical love in our anger. That's referred to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. When we fail to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our thought, words, or actions, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we use words against others that are not edifying or to get our own way. When we have an abiding or continually anger against another or let the sun go down on an anger, failing to deal with it in a biblical manner by choosing to harbor it instead inside. And those that struggle with orge, you got to be careful with that. I mean, I'm, I'm an orge person. I stuff. I stuff. My husband's a thumos. He vents. So you got a venter and a stuffer. <laughs> Both are not good. <laughs> Both are not good. But it's important to, like the scripture's saying, deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on it because when we do, the enemy just comes in and causes division. And like I was sharing with someone in counseling the other day, the enemies are the accuser of the brethren. So we start accusing whoever, our spouse or whoever else in our mind, in our thinking, without talking. And then what happens when you finally get to talk to one another, you realize, I'm so wrong. That was nothing what I imagined in my own crazy mind of the situation. So we see it's important to talk. You have to talk because otherwise we build cases and we build cases and the enemy loves it when we do that because we're not loving one another as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. So when we respond to anger in a manner that does not please the Lord or bring honor to his name, that's how we know our anger is sinful. 
And finally, when we become angry and neglect to rejoice, to pray, or to give thanks in the very situation in which we find ourselves. That's First Thessalonians, where it tells us, in everything, give thanks. In everything. How else do we know when our anger is sinful? When we respond angrily in areas where scripture has already told us how to act. For example, with an enemy, we're told we must look for and meet his need and show love to him, right? According to the scriptures that are listed there. With the civic authorities, we are to obey them and give them what is due unless their demands contradict God's word and would force us to sin. Then we're not to obey not so bad. So the scriptures listen there. Within an unreasonable supervisor, we're to submit to them, except when they're doing so would cause us again to disobey scripture. And that comes from First Peter. In all circumstances, we're to trust God and be content or give thanks and everything. I already mentioned that. In our trials, we are to cooperate with God and respond joyfully as he develops Christ-like character in our lives. How many of us do that? Or do we get mad? Why is this person in my life? Why don't you move them far, far away? To another planet or another state even. And God's like, I want to build my character in you through this person's chasing and rubbing. Do we get angry? In those times, what about in facing unjust treatment? We are patiently to endure, knowing that this will find favor with God. I shared this a few years ago, doing a Bible study. I remember my, I used to work in a hospital in administration, and I had a boss that was different. Well, he wasn't difficult. My boss was great to work with, but her boss was very difficult. He was Jewish, didn't believe in Messiah. I mean, all about the money. I mean, it was all about the money. So there were times where it was hard working there. And I had just come to the Lord, was newly saved back then. And it was difficult working in that department. And I remember the Lord gave me that scripture verse early on in First Peter where it talks about patiently endure during knowing that this finds favor with the Lord. And I'm telling you, there was times I would cry to God. It would be like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just want to quit, you know. But he wouldn't let me. He would just keep bringing me back to this scripture verse. You know, just submit yourself. I know these are harsh but Submit yourself. So what happened was the department started crumbling. And six months later, the whole department shut down. Everyone got laid off in the department except for me. They transferred me to another department. And I was able to see God's hand in that whole situation because I should have got laid off with everyone else, all of us. I should have. But the Lord just, he saw, he knew. He was building something into me, character into me that I needed because I wanted to quit. And he was like, 
You can't. You can, but I don't want you to quit. I want you to stay in this difficult situation, endure it to the end, whatever that end will be. And when that happened, I saw how God looked upon my situation with favor and gave me favor with another uh, controller in the hospital to work with him and with his staff. I didn't deserve that. I really didn't deserve that. But if we patiently endure, God sees and he knows about it. And sometimes he'll reward you in that way for sticking it out, you know, for sticking it out. Little did I know all that was playing into me eventually going into full-time ministry, what I would have to endure in that and not quit and not quit, keep going, no matter how hard, how difficult it gets, keep going. Or I could just get angry and bitter and hate everyone. Those, she's that too, you know, but then again, when you look at what Jesus did on the cross, it's like, no, he endured. He went through hard things and he was innocent. I'm not, we're not. He was innocent, but he endured. So how we know we're, we're responding angrily in a particular situation, it could be with fellow believers who are caught in sin. If we are to restore them in gentleness and not regard them as an enemy, with our parents, while they are in biblical authority over you, we're to obey them in a manner that pleases the Lord. With our children, we're not to provoke them to wrath, but to teach them with the discipline instruction of the Lord. In marriage, each is to submit to one another and to love each other in a consistently biblical manner. And with scripturally qualified leaders, we are to obey them and to esteem them highly in love. So that's how we know if we're crossing the line of, okay, remember the lion, right? It's desirous for you as a prey. He's waiting to entrap you. If we don't deal with anger in the way that the Lord shows us through scripture, through all the scriptures that are listed there on the handout, when you look at that, you see God knew we were going to get angry. But in our anger, we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin in our anger. And it's possible. You know how I know that? Because let's say you and your husband are having an argument, or you have an argument with one of the kids, and the phone rings, Pastor Jeff. Call ID, Pastor, Pastor Jeff. Hello? Hi, yeah, we're great. Yeah, okay. We'll be there. Bye. Doom. <laughs> right? We can control our anger. God knows that. Look, she's even listening. She's like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, why into that? <laughs> so let's look at anger in the inner man because, again, there's still some more in the self-confrontation manual. There's so much good stuff in there. And I love all the scripture references they give for this particular issue 
which tells me that God knew this was going to be an issue in our lives. So he gave us a lot of instruction and warning and correction so that sin is not crouching at the door of our heart in this area. It's not crouching. So since our hearts are revealed by thoughts, words, and actions, sinful anger reveals, we saw this in James, that we are living to please self. The one who is slow to anger has great understanding and is better than the mighty and is able to pacify contentions when they are obedient to God's word. Peacemakers. Peacemakers shall be called children of God. The one who is wise turns away anger and holds it back, or I can say it this way, overlooks a transgression. You know, am I really going to make a big deal out of this thing that happened? Well, I'm just going to let it go. And why do I want to make a big deal out of it anyway? Do I want to prove that I'm right? It's, it's that. But what's that doing? That's just feeding my pride if I come out on top. So I can let it go. If I know it's just going to feed my flesh, just let it go. One often reveals his failure to deal biblically with his own anger by judging others for the same sin that he or she commits. Do you ever get angry at people that do the very same thing that you do to people? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the Lord puts a mirror in front of us and says, uh, that's you. <laughs> that's you. According to scripture, the one who becomes angry quickly shows himself to be a fool. I don't want to be a fool by God's standard to you. No, no. So there's two ways of dealing with anger. The world's way of dealing with anger is punching pillows or making a hole in the wall or venting at people, expressing it all. And then there's God's way of dealing with it. God's way is always better. Because when you start stirring up the past or things from the past, whatever gets you angry, that the world tells us how to deal with anger, it just makes you more mad, doesn't it? It really does. It, it doesn't, like, pacify the anger. It just gets you furious and more bitter and resentful at the situation that happened. So there's two ways of dealing with it. God's way is always better. It's always a better way. So since God's word, the encouragement is since, God word com, com, since God's word commands us to put away anger and bitterness means, like I said earlier, it's possible to do this. It's possible for us to be angry and not sin. Following the example of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, anger is righteous only if it is aroused by a specific violation of God's Word and remains righteous only if it is acted upon with a spirit of compassion. How many times have heard that in counseling? Well, my anger is self-righteous, but meanwhile, you're sinning all over the place with your self-righteousness because... You're bitter, you're resentful, you're not in mercy towards that person. Your tone with a spirit of compassion, spirit of compassion. Because of the ever-present temptation to live for self rather than to live for God will exist in our hearts until we see Jesus. 
we must continually choose to obey God's word by denying ourselves, praying habitually, constantly depending on God's spirit, constantly being a doer of the word and not a hearer only in order to deal with anger biblically. If we allow anger to get the upper hand in our heart and gain control of our mind or conduct, Satan will use this as an opportunity to affect our physical and spiritual life and our body as well. We have to choose. And again, this is all from the handout from self-confrontation. We have to choose to live in a manner that pleases the Lord no matter how we feel. We hear that a lot in these classes. No matter how we feel, we have to choose to live in a manner that pleases the Lord. Our deeds and emotions, whether it's the thoughts, words, or actions revealed, whether we're living to please ourselves or living to please God. So there's some more there that you can go through on your own. But I did want to let you know, um, if anyone in this class or anyone that's hearing online struggles with this particular sin, there is a journal that we typically give as a homework assignment that I included on this handout too that you can work through to help you to process, well, why do I get so upset over the things that I get upset over? What is the root of it in my heart? So there are nine questions here. And it, the first one is, what were the circumstances that led me to feel angry? And you would use about two or three sentences to explain what happened. What was it that happened that I got so upset? at number two what was my thinking when i became angry you know what was going on in my mind as a result of my anger number three what did i want desire or long for when i was angry number three is really going to be a telltale of just okay could this thing that i want desire and long for possibly be an idol in my heart you know like i want peace and if I don't get peace, I get angry. If you find that every time you're getting angry, it's because you want peace. Well, then you know peace is the idol. Okay, that's getting to the heart issue. But then you start looking at, but what does scripture say my peace should come from? Where does scripture, well, no, I'm not saying that right. According to the scriptures, where should my peace be coming from? The Lord. It's not a circumstance or a place, right? It's from the Lord himself. So that's question four. So you keep your eye on question three, because three will really expose what the idol is, what's at the root of the anger. But number four, what does the Bible say about what I wanted when I felt angry? And you use scripture to answer that. Number five, what does the Bible say I should have wanted more than my selfish desires? And that comes from James 4, again, verses 1 through 3. Because again, where do wars and fights come from among you? Number six, did you act the way the God says you should act when you felt angry? Number seven, what should I have done according to God's word when I became angry? Number eight, did you fail God today? If you did spend some time repenting, you can see Psalm 51. 
to see what true repentance looks like. Lord, the sin is in me. It's not so-and-so that's making me angry. It's my own heart, my own wicked heart that's getting angry. It's not so-and-so. People can't make us angry. They can't. It's how we respond to a particular situation. Number nine, are you committed to do better tomorrow? If so, pray a prayer commitment. There's also a handout that I included in there, which I had gotten way back when um, the COVID lockdown was going on from Revive Our Hearts Ministry. They had a a Facebook page for women in leadership and pastors' wives that kind of was a support system there for women in ministry during that time that had questions, okay, how do we lead our ladies through a pandemic? Because none of us had ever done that before (laughs) as spiritual leaders. So it was such a blessing just being connected with other pastors' wives in that way and, and hearing what they had to say about different things and and during that time, Erin Davis from there had put out an article that I thought was very good, Four Ways of Knowing If You Have a Root of Bitterness in Your Heart. So that I included too, because that's good to go through to see where am I? You know, where am I? Do I have any of these things going on inside? And if I do, how do I repent of it? Or deal with it God's way so that sin is not crouching at the door of my heart. Because it's God's desire that I master this thing. Really, he masters it through the Holy Spirit. He's the one that masters it, but we have to yield and submit to him in order for him to do that. So I wanted to give you more practical hands-on tonight. Information. I know it's a lot of information, but I wanted to equip you because part of doing these Bible studies, you know, I'm hearing what you ladies share when we, especially when we have our conversation time. I listen to your struggles and just what you share with the other ladies. And it's like, we have resources at the counseling center that can help you with whatever you're struggling with. So as we're doing this class, I'm also listening and I'm, I'm asking the Lord, how can I give them what they need to equip them and help them in their struggles, you know, that they're having? So this was one of those times when I got before the Lord and I just sensed him leading me to the self-confrontation manual in this area of anger that I said, okay, I'll just put it together and, you know, you can look all the scriptures up that are there. But that's something you have to take them before the Lord. And Lord, help me. Help me in this area of struggle. I don't want this to control me. I mean, we heard last Sunday, I think it was, Romans 6, sin shall not have dominion over you. And if anger has dominion over you, sin shall not have dominion over you. Lord, help me to walk in newness of life where this is not controlling me the way it has been. And it's possible, like I said, because of what Ephesians 4 tells us, the original translation, in your sin, in your anger, do not sin. That's the original translation of it, in your anger, do not sin. So we know it's possible 
because when the phone rings and we get that phone call and the other person's on the other line, that it can be controlled. How much more God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us to control, you know, because part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, gentleness, right, kindness, patience, and the list goes on. So I wanted to equip you in that way. So you, since we're not having class next week, you can take all those scriptures and look them up, highlight them in your Bible. Like I said, if you have a problem with anger, you could do an anger journal. Usually if you do that for about four weeks, you could really see what is that number three question. What is the idol going on in the heart? And that will show you, and then you'll know how to deal with it, how to deal with the situation God's way, biblically. And as you begin to do that, you'll start seeing victory in your life over things that you used to get angry over. You you don't get angry over it anymore. Because you realize it's not worth it. It's only hurting myself. It's not hurting anyone else. It's hurting me. So you learn how to overlook overlook. Not to say you're not going to confront the situation, but it needs to be confronted, but you learn how to just I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. It's not I'm not going to go there. So so hopefully this helps. So let me just close in a word of prayer and I'll shut this recording off. Lord, we do thank you so much for Cain and Abel's life, Lord, even though it's painful to walk through what happened between them. Lord, you had that written down for us for today, for our generation, so that we would know how to deal with our anger that we have in our heart towards our brother, towards our sister, towards anyone, Lord, our enemies, our co-worker, anyone, Lord. Slow driver in front of us. It could be so many things we get angry over. But Lord, we're thankful tonight that you're telling us you want us to not allow that sin to have dominion over us, Lord. You don't want us to be mastered by it, to be intimate with it. Lord, you you want us to put it off, to repent of it, Lord. And I, I pray that you would help us, God. Again, I'm asking that you would help us just to have peace, more peace in our lives, more joy in our lives as we submit and surrender to you our wills, our emotions. God, I pray that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be manifested in our lives in a greater way and in our relationships with our husbands, for those that have children, grandchildren, one another, the body of Christ. Lord, I I just pray that you would just help us to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in every relationship that we have here on planet Earth. Lord, I I ask this and pray this. So I pray that you would do much with this lesson tonight in the lives of those that are here and those that are listening online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.